This podcast is from Christian Chapel in Tulsa, Oklahoma. For more information, visit us online at christianchapel.com. Hey, we are in the middle of a message series that we've called Kingdom Builders. Every year at Christian Chapel in January, we talk about what it means to build God's kingdom. And so Kingdom Builders at Christian Chapel is a way that we support the work of God all over the world. Kingdom Builders is a program where many of us choose to give over and above our regular giving to fund the work of missions in in over 30 nations around the world through 50 ministries and missionaries that we support. It's how we fund events like Royal Family Kids Camp and Mentoring Club. We support crisis pregnancy outreach. Um, It's how we engage in next generation investments like camp scholarships and missions trip scholarships. It's how we support uh, Connected Kids, a local organization working with children from trauma backgrounds. We support Crossover Community Impact, who's doing incredible work um, over in the Hawthorne neighborhood in in North Tulsa. Just so many good things come out of Kingdom Builders. In 2021, we were able to give away almost $400,000 through your generosity in our Kingdom Builders funds. Historically, at Christian Chapel, uh, we're able to give away between 25 and 35% of our annual budget every year to be part of what God is doing all over the world. And so every January, we want to renew our emphasis, uh, remembering that God has not just blessed us for our own benefit, but he has blessed us to be part of what he's doing all around the world and all over our community. So at the the end of last week of January, first week of February, we're going to target specifically our Kingdom Builders uh, projects and giving for 2022 and roll those out for you. I'm really looking forward to it. Um, But We don't want to spend a month just saying, hey, you should give your money and then don't worry about how you live your life. Because what we really believe is Kingdom Builders is not just a project we participate in, it's a lifestyle that we embrace. And so if we're going to give to Kingdom Builders, we also want to make sure that we are living as Kingdom Builders. Which means we have to to spend a, a little bit of time at the beginning defining what we mean by the Kingdom. When we talk about the kingdom, we believe the scriptures teach us that the kingdom of God is all of creation, that everywhere the spirit of God is present, he is at work and the kingdom exists. Now, because of sin, we don't always recognize that the kingdom is present or that we have a part in it. This is where Jesus comes to help us recognize and receive our place in God's kingdom, to take our place as full citizens of that kingdom, and then now we get to go out joyfully to our friends, our neighbors, our family, our coworkers, our classmates, and to the ends of the earth to make the announcement, God's kingdom is here and it's for you through Jesus Christ. And so what we're exploring this year is what does it take to be a kingdom builder? Trying to ask that question, what are some of the characteristics that we see in kingdom builders? And so we we started off the first week of January by talking about how the, the kingdom is built from generation to generation. That we always receive the kingdom from those who've gone before us, and we always have a responsibility to share the kingdom with those who are coming after us. And then for the rest of this month, we're just exploring what are some characteristics of a kingdom builder. If I want to be a kingdom builder, what do I need to do? And so I I, uh, have been really, really excited this month to share some of the lessons with you that were imparted to me by those who went before me. So last week, my old youth pastor, uh, Billy Seymour, was here, and Billy talked to us about how it takes passion to build the kingdom, that you're not going to build it if you don't care about it. And when you realize what Jesus has done for you, you realize he is worth everything that you can give. Today, we're going to talk about how kingdom builders love people. 
And you can't build the kingdom without building relationships. And, and I'm going to invite um, my former boss and pastor here at Christian Chapel, Greg Davis, is going to come at the end and do a, a little question and answer with me about what it means to love people. Next week, we're going to talk about how kingdom builders uh, are people who work hard. And I've invited my dad to come back. Um, you know, he, he is probably as, as responsible as anyone for me having a work ethic because I think one of the most common refrains, refrains I heard growing up was, no son of mine is going to be lazy. Uh, and he just kind of drilled that into us. But he drilled it into me with a, a kingdom perspective of if the kingdom is as valuable as we say it is, then it requires our best efforts to make sure it's built everywhere for everyone. And then the last Sunday of this month is going to be a fun one for us as well. We're going to talk about how kingdom builders embrace interruptions. And we're going to hear from one of our Christian Chapel families who is in the process of selling everything that they own um, to leave and, and work full-time among an unreached people group. And so it's going to be a really wonderful opportunity for us there. Today, though, uh, we're going to talk about how kingdom builders love people. So if you have a Bible, we'll be in John chapter 10. John chapter 10, we'll start in verse 11, where we find Jesus describing himself to us as the good shepherd and us as the sheep. So we're going to read this, and then we'll spend some time talking about what it means and, and some of the implications for relationships. If you don't have a Bible to be here on the screens for you, John 10, verse 11, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice. And there shall be one flock and one shepherd. When Jesus chooses the picture of a shepherd, he does it to help us understand that he desires a personal relationship with us. There are other pictures in the scripture used of Jesus and, and our relationship to him, a king and his kingdom citizens, of a father and his children. But in this passage, Jesus chooses the idea of a shepherd to communicate something to us, that he knows us, he loves us, and he is personally involved in our lives. He cares for us, he guards against those who would try to attack us, and he is willing to lay down his life so that we have the ability to hear his voice and to be one with him as he is one with the Father. Really what is being said here is that kingdom builders are relationship builders. The, the, the idea of a shepherd and his sheep is a relational one. For Jesus, it's not just anybody with a, a farming livestock type background. So, so my, my grandpa um, owned a farm out in western Oklahoma, and he, he ran cattle for my whole life. Um, it was not a personal relationship, right? He was raising hamburgers. That's, that, was, that was, we did not, like, I remember as a little kid being like, Grandpa, what's that one's name? And he would be like, for sale. Uh, you know, like there was, there was no attachment whatsoever to those cattle. And we would be like, can I pet one? He'd be like, you can try, uh, you know, but, but there, there was nothing there. That's not the picture Jesus is giving us here. The, the idea of a shepherd and a sheep, especially in first century Israel, was a much closer and more personal relationship. 
The shepherd spent a lot of time with the sheep. The shepherd got to know the sheep. If you want an idea of what it is, you can go back and read Psalm 23 and hear David's description of the Lord as our shepherd. It's a shepherd who watches over you by day and by night, a shepherd who leads you and guides you, a shepherd who tends to you when you're wounded, a shepherd who knows each one of his sheep, and if one is missing, he goes off after them. And so it's very much the picture of relationship that Jesus is giving us in John chapter 10. And if this is how he chooses to relate to us, then this should also define how we relate to each other. Which means for us as followers of Jesus, the kingdom is not primarily about what we build, but it's about who we build. Right? So, so there's a temptation for churches, for Christian ministries, for Christians and pastors to engage in a lot of building. Right? Whether we're building physical buildings or we're building programs or we're building schools or we're building hospitals or children's homes or summer camps, there, there's, just, there's something in us that we love to build stuff that we can point and say, we did that. And yet what we see all through the scriptures is God's primary concern is never what we build with our hands, but who we are building with our lives. And so so at Christian Chapel, we're the recipients of those who have gone before us and have built stuff, right? The building we sit in was built by those who've gone before us. Many of the programs that we're engaged in, like Royal Family, were built by those who've gone before us. And we love those, and we're looking for opportunities to start new things and to build new things and to invest in new things. And yet, we want to remember all of these things we build are simply resources to build relationships with others. Every building is only as good as the people who fill it. Every ministry is only as useful as those who are reached through it. None of these things have value on their own. Their value is attached to our ability to take them and use them to build relationships with others and let them recognize their place in God's kingdom. So as you, as you work your way through John chapter 10, you see a, a couple things that Jesus teaches us about relationship builders. The first thing he teaches us is that relationship builders are kingdom builders. And if we're going to be relationship builders, we have to know others. And I think we can all acknowledge it's hard to build relationships without knowing people. You've got to make an effort. Jesus says, I know my sheep and my sheep know me. What he's telling us is his kingdom is not anonymous. You can't slip in the back door and out the back door and never talk to anyone or interact with anyone in the kingdom of God. You were created to be known by others and to know others. And so for us as followers of Christ, what that means is if we're going to build the kingdom, we are constantly looking for opportunities to know others and build relationships with them. And where, where, are, my, where are my extroverts in the room? Anybody? A few of you? All right introverts, just like right here. You don't have to go all the way up. Just right here. Okay. Anybody that's kind of in the middle, like maybe your job requires you to be more extroverted at times or yeah, or your mom like elbows you. Anybody have that mom when you were a kid that you're like in the store and she's like, say hi. Like, I don't want to. I don't know them. Like, they know your dad. Like, I don't care, right? Just those moments you have. And, And so for extroverts, this idea of no others, you can be like, yeah, that's fun. Let's do it. And introverts, like, do I have to? because I already know someone, and I, I think that's enough. 
I really don't, I really don't need anyone else, right? And so, so for the introverts, it's this push from the scriptures of just keep opening the doors, keep looking for opportunities. But for the extroverts, there's this idea too of it's not just that you know them, it's that you, that you know them. Not just that you know their faces, not just that you, you're on social media with them, not just that you're building a network, but that you actually are engaged in relationship. Jesus says, I know my sheep and my sheep know me. And so we're not just trying to get kind of a first name, kind of, yeah, we know a lot of people, but we're trying to build into deeper relationships. Then the, the next thing Jesus tells us is that he will lay down his life for his sheep, teaching us that if we're going to be relationship builders, we're going to have to sacrifice for others. And it, it's not always convenient to build relationships. And, and it's, it's really important for us to remember. So let's Normally, kind of the way we would teach this is, hey, there are people in your life that aren't easy to love, that are difficult to be around, and you need to sacrifice so they know they're welcome in the kingdom. But this morning, I want to reverse that just a little bit and say, you are hard to love and difficult to be around. And some point along the way, somebody sacrificed so that you could find your place in the kingdom. I was reminded of this last Sunday when, when Billy, my old youth pastor, was here. So when, when I was growing up, I remember being 14, 15, 16 years old, and, and I, I loved being in his youth group in Topeka, Kansas. He did, he did such a great job. He was so passionate about the Lord, but he was really fun to be around. And there were, just, there were always fun things for us to do. So he would do the overnighters, and he would take us to camp, and he would do retreats, and he would do fun events, and he would host us in his home. And as a 15-year-old, I thought, man, Billy's the luckiest guy in the world. He just gets to hang out with us all the time. Like, he, he must love, he must love staying up all night with us. He must love when 50 of us come rolling into his house. And he, he must love, I thought when he went to camp, it was basically vacation for him. I was like, this is great. I, I would like a job like that someday, where my work is camp. And, and then I got a job like that. And I realized, as a youth pastor, I didn't like teenagers after midnight. I don't like anyone after midnight. Right? And, and it, it kind of made me think of, I wonder if Billy, and, and I remember as a youth pastor calling him at one point and being like, you know what? Thank you. I was a bum in a lot of ways. And my buddies were worse than me. And you welcomed us into your home. You let us hang around with your impressionable children. We taught them terrible things that no five-year-old should ever know because we thought it was funny. Right? And, and he was gracious and he was kind. But what was he really doing? He was sacrificing his personal preferences for the sake of his calling so that we could find our place in the kingdom. And so when we say you've got to sacrifice for others, it's not like you've always been a pleasure to be around. Someone sacrificed, Jesus sacrificed for you, and then there's been a lot of other believers who are sacrificed along the way so that you can find your place in the kingdom. And so when we say, let's sacrifice for others, we're not asking ourselves to do anything that hasn't been done for us. But we're just saying, yeah, you know what, it might not be easy, it might not be what I want, I might feel like I have all the friends I need and I don't want anymore. And yet, if God is putting people in my life and in my path, then I need to be willing to lay down my preferences, lay down my time, lay down my requirement that they do everything the way I want it done, and be willing to sacrifice so they can find their place in the kingdom. Jesus goes on to tell us in John chapter 10, he says, I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. Making the point to us that if we're going to be relationship builders, we have to be willing to expand for others. It's this idea of we, we have never reached max capacity in the kingdom of God. As long as there is one more person 
in your home, in your school, in your dorm, in your friend group, as long as there's one more person in our community, one more person in our state, in our nation, in the world, we are not done. The task continues. The job requirement is that this always expands. There's always room for one more. We're willing to be inconvenienced and we're willing to go from where we are to where God calls us to be so that others can find their place in the kingdom. As you you keep reading, Jesus says, then they will know my voice. Reminding us our job is not just to hear God's voice and tell other people what he says, but ultimately our job is to help others hear Jesus. When you're building relationships, you're not trying to build your platform, your network, your following. You're not trying to make disciples of yourself. You're not trying to build yourself up through your influence of others. But the goal of every one of us is that we will invest our lives in others and that one day they will surpass us in their ability to hear God's voice and do what he says. And I mean, that's my, my hope as a pastor, as a parent, as a friend, is that there will be a long list of people who come after me, who hear God's voice in a personal and powerful way and do things that are beyond my wildest imaginations. This is what Jesus is telling us. Like, your, your job personally is to get to the place where you can hear his voice and do what he says. And then your job to expand the kingdom is not to say, hey, come walk with me and I'll tell you what God says to do. But it's to say, come walk with me and I'll teach you to hear his voice for yourself. I'll teach you to read the scriptures. I'll teach you to plant yourself in community. I will teach you how to pray. I'll teach you how to worship. I'll teach you how to listen. I'll teach you how to submit to authority and to surrender to those around you. And in doing so, you will learn to hear the voice of God yourself. And then the the last thing that Jesus tells us here is he says, there will be one flock and one shepherd reminding us that when we are building the kingdom through relationships, the ultimate goal is that we are all equal with each other. And it's, it's not, there's no hierarchy in God's kingdom. There is one shepherd, and we are all part of one flock. And in that flock, we are all on equal standing with each other. So whether you follow Jesus for 50 years or five minutes, you stand on equal ground before him. And what that means for us is, again, when we're looking to build relationships, it's not that we're trying to build more people underneath us to push us higher up a pyramid. It's we are trying to bring more people in to live shoulder to shoulder and side by side with us. We're not trying to build our authority. We're not trying to flex, I've been here before you, but we're just saying, hey, just come on. Come discover this new life that I have. Come find it with me. Come enjoy it with me. And that equality crosses every line of division that exists in the world today. It crosses race. It crosses ethnicity. It crosses nationality. It crosses language barriers. It crosses political barriers. It crosses economic and educational barriers. It crosses every way that we would, if you're vaccinated or unvaccinated, if you wear a mask, if you don't wear a mask, if you, I don't care about any of it. If you're a Raiders fan, it still works for all of us all the time. And this is what Jesus is telling us. Hey, there's one flock and one shepherd. And just in case we don't get it, he is the good shepherd. It's not me. It's not you. It's not whoever you follow. It's not your favorite author, your favorite pastor or podcaster. Jesus is the shepherd under whom we all are equal. When I I think of these lessons and and so many others that I've learned through the years about what it means to love people, um, one of the men that God used to teach me those, probably more than anyone else, was Greg Davis. 
So back in, in uh, January of 2005, 17 years ago, I was finishing my last semester of seminary at, at uh, the Assemblies of God Seminary in Springfield, Missouri. And Angie and I had been married for four years at that point. She was pregnant with our first child. He was due in February. And I, I don't know if you've ever been in that moment of, you know, the last semester before you graduate, life starts to get real. Because you know my days as a student are coming to an end. And for me, it was not only is that coming to an end, but my wife's about to have a baby, and I need a job. Like, I was working to put myself through school, but I was working a job, not a career. And so we really started to pray, of Lord, where do you want us to go? What do you want us to do? And we felt like he was directing us, of, I want you to give the next five to six years to serve in student ministry in a local church. So we started reaching out, looking around. I, I found Christian Chapel through a, a post online that they were looking for a youth pastor. I knew nothing about it other than they were part of the Assemblies of God. That was the, the denomination I'd grown up in, and, and there were ministries here that I was familiar with. And so I sent an email, and then kind of over the course of about two months, they, they wound up hiring Angie and I to serve as youth pastors. I graduated on a, a Saturday in May. We moved the next Monday and started work on Tuesday. And it was just a, a really wonderful season for us. We thought we were going to be here for five or six years, and then uh, honestly, our plan at that time was we were going to go serve as missionaries. As we, we came and served, we found so much more than a job. We found a community that God had planted us in. And while we thought we were coming to, you know, like a typical seminary grad, I was coming to tell everyone everything I knew, and I knew a lot of stuff. Right, and, and it was going to be life-changing, probably better than any pastor before or since. Um, and, and so I came just full of like, hey, let's go, let's do it. And I found a community that was kind and was gracious to me. I found a community that let Angie and I figure out what it was to be parents as our family grew, continued to bless us and honor us. And more than that, in Greg and Donna, we found mentors who welcomed us in, not as employees, but as members of their family. Greg served as our pastor here at Christian Chapel for 18 years. He, prior to that, he had been an associate pastor on staff for about uh, two or three years. Before that, he um, and Donna had been members of the church since some of our earliest days. Greg was an engineer, worked in the oil industry uh, prior to becoming a pastor and served as our volunteer interim worship leader for 11 years. Uh, so it was a very long interim period. Uh, but he, he just did a, a wonderful job. He and Donna are very much a part of the story of Christian Chapel over the decades. When I came, I, I knew Greg was a good pastor. I could see the fruit of that in the church. What I didn't recognize was what a, a great mentor he was going to become for me personally. And so I, I learned a lot from listening to Greg preach. I learned a lot from him in staff meetings. But I, I probably honestly learned most by sitting in his office and by going to lunch with him. And just hearing him share the wisdom that he had accrued over the years of what it means to love people, what it means to love Jesus. And, and one of the, the key things that Angie and I picked up on early in our time at Christian Chapel was if we were going to be on staff here, we were going to have to lead from among the people, not from above them. Because that was a model of leadership Greg and Donna had. Of God has not called us to elevate ourselves above and tell everyone to come on. He's called us to get down shoulder to shoulder, side by side, and say, let's do this together. And I watched over the years as I had an up-close view of, um, I, I don't know if, if you know this, but being a pastor isn't always easy. It's not always fun. Sometimes it's, it's painful and hurtful. You walk through dark and difficult days with other people. You get to celebrate the best, and you get to be there for the worst. 
And yet I watch Greg through the years walk through all of those situations and more with a sense of grace and an undying commitment of I'm going to love others. And he did it when it was easy, and he did it when it was difficult. And, and so this fall, when I was thinking about and praying through this series, um, I really felt like I wanted Greg to talk to us just practically about some of those things he'd shared. And a couple weeks ago, he and I were having a conversation, and, and it, it just, I loved the way it flowed. And I thought, well, probably the best thing I could do for you is to ask Greg to come and, and kind of give you a window into some of those conversations we had. Greg is a very relational person, so, so we're trying to, to work with the strengths of each person who comes. So Billy last week, like, Billy, you got to let him preach, because if I tried to do a Q&A, he's just going to preach anyways, and I just sit there for an hour. Uh, but Greg does such a good job one-on-one. Some of you have been in his classes he teaches on Wednesday night. He and Donna, they're now semi-retired. Uh, he's working as an adjunct faculty member at Oral Roberts University. They're staying busy with their four married daughters, their 11 grandchildren, uh, and, and all kinds of other things. But I'm going to invite Greg to come up this morning and share with us a little bit. Will you please help me welcome Greg Davis? Thank you. Thank you, Chris. Yep. Uh, so, Greg, tell us a little bit just about, I mean, from my perspective when I came here, I thought, oh, Greg's always loved people. It's easy for him. Um, but as I got to know, you told me that wasn't always the case, that there were some personal obstacles you had to overcome. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Right. I, I think um, I've always loved people, but it, it wasn't always something I could express or that I felt like I needed to outwardly show. You know, you can love them on the inside and not have to say anything or do anything. And, you know, I'm among the, I think, the majority here today who classify themselves as introverts, which is a good thing. And um, also, um, I am a person who is just wired to be task-oriented. You know, it seems like people approach their work either from a task orientation, like let's get it done, or from a relational uh, way and let's let's work together, and they either gather strength by accomplishment and finishing things, or by just the fact that the process. Mm-hmm. You know that expression, uh, process over product. Yeah. I've always hated that. Um, <laughs> I've learned though. I've learned, and uh, actually, uh, that's one of the great lessons I've learned through life is to somehow it's the journey, not the destination. And uh, boy, that's hard if you're wired the way I am. And so um, overcoming our nature and using the way we are as an excuse not to be more outwardly loving to other people uh, is, is something that you know, I had to learn. And I think as a kingdom builder, we... Uh, find that God is softening our heart and changing even aspects of our personality to help us love others. Um, My wife has been a great uh, teacher for me in that way. Um, Get this, um, we'll go somewhere and and she'll talk to strangers. I I really don't get that. I mean, (laughs) we don't even know them. And it's like, what? Can't we just mind our own business, you know, (laughs) but but I'm learning, and, uh, you know, I think, uh, I felt like as a kingdom builder, my job was to work hard, give generously, and let someone else worry about the people type 
operation. But uh, God's been gracious and uh, helped me along. And uh, yes, loving others is not only fun, it's delightful. It's something that's a big part of yep. just living. Yep. Yeah. Now, I know, uh, Pat, I've, you know, we've have shared a lot of similar uh, life stories as far as being able to pastor at Christian Chapel. And I think we both view this as one of the the greatest communities of believers at any point in history. Absolutely. Right? Um, kind, welcoming, generous. And yet I'm sure at some point along the way of your 18 years as, as senior pastor and other years of ministry, there was someone who was hard for you to love. Um, probably no one in the room. I'm sure they you know, have received their reward already. But um, <laughs> what advice would you give to us? Because some of us have people in our life that it's like, you know what? I know I'm supposed to love them, but I don't want to. Yeah, that, that's, it's a challenge. Not everyone is easily lovable, for sure. But, um, you know, you were sharing from John earlier. In uh, John's letter, he wrote, Dear friends, God has been so loving toward us. Shouldn't we also love one another? And, you know, for a, a logical thinker, it's just like, yeah. I mean, it just makes sense that how else can we be? God has loved us so extravagantly. Can't we just love others? And I think that starts um, in the local church. I think that where we learn to love people who are hard to love or different from us is just in, in the within the congregation. Paul gave us a beautiful, beautiful illustration in 1 Corinthians 12 about the body of Christ and the many different members who are all so different. And uh, even that line that says, those that seem to be weaker are indispensable. Wow. I mean, this is something we have to come to see, that those who seem to be weaker, and we can look around the room or in any group we're a part of and kind of figure where we fit in, right? How, how we kind of rank among the, mm-hmm. uh, among the folks that are there. And some seem to be weaker. And uh, Paul writes, they're indispensable. And those we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. Wow, I mean, that just, that just challenges me and I, I think all of us that, yeah, there's, we, I mean, we have to break down barriers and go to people that are unlovable or unpopular or not attractive in one way or another or, or just different than we are and uh, love them. And in the church, I think, is where we, we learn to do that and start Absolutely. to do that. Absolutely. Yeah. I remember you teaching me that as a youth pastor a couple times um, where there would, and Greg, Greg was always mature and kind. I was always immature and unkind, um, you know, because I, <laughs> I, was, I was young. We'll blame it on that. Okay. Uh, but I, I remember a time or two where Greg would say, hey, there's, there's this need and I need you to go make this visit like this. You know, maybe it's a teenager I heard that mom or dad is sick. And, and I remember once or twice protesting of, but I don't like them. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and, and I normally, it was justified because they had done something rude or said something mean or questioned my uh, unquestionable judgment as, as a 24-year-old. Um, and, and I remember Greg telling me gently but directly of that really doesn't matter. Um, and, and what I appreciate now looking back on it is he didn't phrase my responsibility to care in a pastoral sense. He simply phrased it in a Christian sense of, you know, it wasn't because I was a pastor I had to overcome this. It was because I was a follower of Christ. So it was just kind of like, well, yeah, you know what? You're not always going to like it. Just go do it. Yeah. Uh, and I, I really appreciated that. And uh, 
probably still need it on occasion. So. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so it's one thing then to, to kind of overcome that. Maybe personally there's some things where, where we don't like each other, get along. But one of the things that, that I noticed when the Angie Night came, so we came in 2005, uh, which is still very much in that post-9-11 world, um, which was very polarized, very divisive. Um, we had nationally kind of clear enemies of who we were supposed to hate and how we were supposed to view them. And one of the things that, that we appreciated coming to Christian Chapel was when we were making, you were making this missions emphasis each January, you were constantly pushing us to overcome the, the prejudice, the division of culture, and to recognize that Christ died for everyone, even our enemies. And so kind of what advice would you give to us today about how, how do we love those that maybe it's, maybe it's some intrinsic thing we need to deal with of there's people from certain backgrounds or parts of the world or how do we overcome that and still love those who everyone else says we're okay to hate? Yeah, that's pretty, that's pretty hard. I, I think um, there are so many different situations around the world and may, we see a lot of evil in some parts of the world where people are being horribly mistreated or... Um, neglected in one way or another and it, it's hard not because we we hate the experience of those that are downtrodden uh, we hate the people that are are causing them to be that way it's just pretty it's just pretty difficult I, I grew up uh, in my age um, we were I don't think it wasn't said this way but we learned that uh, we hated communists okay um, why? Because communists hated God, and because they kept people from worshiping God, therefore, you know, A plus B, then we hate them. And uh, it, that, you know, that was a lesson to overcome, and I, I really overcame that, I think, by listening to missionaries who were, who were sneaking in behind the Iron Curtain and finding this uh, underground church and finding that the Spirit of God was working there in a communist country? Is this even possible? And, you know, I think that was the beginning of an awakening for me. But then after 9-11, like you say, you know, thinking that there, there are people that are irredeemable, right, that are lost and hopeless and should remain that way. You know, but Jesus addressed this very clearly. I mean, he boiled all the commandments down to two things. Love God, right? all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, love your neighbor as yourself. And then the apostles uh, defined what that looks like. They said, well, to love God is to obey him. Okay, so loving God can be pretty esoteric, you know, pretty ethereal, but loving your neighbor, you know, that's just downright where we live. And so if we love God... And we were talking about how these two may be very importantly connected the other day. Mm -hmm. And if we love God, then we're going to have to love our neighbor as ourself. That's if, to show that we're sincere about loving God. And then Jesus goes a step further, of course, in the parable that follows, explaining that our neighbor is that guy who's fallen on the side of the Jericho Road, who is lost and in hopeless condition, Others are passing by, have given up on this guy completely, right? For, and, and there's people like that we've got to think about, people that we want to give up on, people that are lost and hopeless and we shouldn't be caring about. That Jesus said, that's who your neighbor is. 
Okay, that's who you should be concerned about. And uh, wow, it just, it just stretches us beyond all personal prejudice or preference mm-hmm. or bias. And uh, wow, Jesus died for everyone. The Spirit is actively involved trying to bring people throughout the world to know him, even people that we may feel like don't deserve somehow to know him. And so it sets up this way. You know, if the spirit is actively involved in the lives of the people I might ordinarily most despise, trying to communicate God's love and draw them into relationship with him, do I want to oppose the spirit and what he's doing or do I want to be a part of that? Yeah. And so if I'm, I don't want to be in a place where I'm opposing the Spirit of God, right? And if he's actively working among the most hated and despised, let's say, in the world, then I should be loving them too. Absolutely. Yep. And then uh, just kind of finally, Greg, what practical tips would you give us? So, I mean, I think probably everyone here would say, I agree, I want to love God, I want to love others, but sometimes it's still hard. Uh, and so in the, how would you speak to that difficulty? What are some practical things you've done to just make sure that even when it's not easy, you just keep being obedient? Yeah, well, it's, you know, I learned uh, early on when I was serving as worship leader, you know, we used to sing this song, We Bring the Sacrifice of Praise. Really old song. I'm sure some of you have never heard of it. But, um, you know, my first interpretation of that thought, sacrifice of praise, you know, we really don't want to praise him, but we'll praise the Lord, right? A sacrifice of praise. But then I, I looked a little further into that and realized that the word sacrifice just means offering. So we'll bring an offering of praise to the Lord. And what is an offering, you know, uh, King David challenged us, what is an offering if it costs me nothing? You know, I will not give to the Lord, my God, offerings that cost me nothing, he said. So yeah, it's going to be costly to love others, but it starts by committing to a local church. You learn to love by looking around. I mean, it's easy to sit among people that are like you, right? And uh, people that, you know, all the masked people over here, the unmasked over here, you know, however you tend to (laughs) divide or whatever. But you've got to go, you got to go to a place that's uncomfortable sometimes. And we learn that, I think, by committing ourselves and getting immersed in the body of Christ. You know, just, you got to love, you got to serve, you got to get shoulder to shoulder with people. And then the other thing is just, just always hoping and praying that, the Spirit of God is developing in me the heart of God and not the heart of me. <laughs> the heart of God who created all human beings is to love all human beings. They treat them all the same. And uh, just got to pray that transformation keeps happening. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Thanks, Greg. Yeah. We stand with us. I'm going to ask Greg to, to pray a prayer for us that we will be a, a community that loves each other and is constantly uh, opening our doors and our hearts and our arms and our relationships to love others as well. Amen. You pray for us? Sure. Father, I thank you for Pastor Chris. I thank you for his great love for you and the great way that he's uh, leading us in this congregation. I just ask you to continue to bless him and his family and, and in all that uh, they're putting their hand to. But God, I thank you that he's a man that is completely devoted to you, completely surrendered to you. And uh, let me be the same way, surrendered to you, devoted completely to you, loving you with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, so that I can be in a position to love my neighbor as myself. 
Do that change in my heart, Lord. Make my heart like your heart. Let me see through your eyes, lost and hurting people, the guy at the fallen at the side of the Jericho Road. Let me see like you do, and let me love like you do. It has changed my heart, God, to be more like you. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thanks, Greg. We appreciate you. Love you. Love you too. You help me honor Greg, not just for today, but for a lifetime of faithful service to us. We're very grateful for him. Before we dismiss today, the band's going to lead us in a final song. If you'd like someone to join with you in some personal prayers, uh, maybe it's to say yes to Jesus, to begin that relationship with him. Uh, maybe it's just, there's, it's hard for you to love other people, and that's okay. Welcome to the club. But it's what we're called to do. But if you've got that need or any other need in your life this morning, if you'll head out the back doors and to your left, our prayer team is waiting for you in the prayer room to join you in some personal and powerful prayers. If you're online, you can do that at christianchapel.com prayer. The rest of us, we're going to sing this song as a reminder of how we respond to the greatness of God in our lives and the way he's revealed his love to us. Thanks for listening to this podcast from Christian Chapel. For more information, visit us online at christianchapel.com.